5: I want to begin with the Deshaun Watson implosion that is going on right now in Houston. And I know we got a lot of people listening to me right now in Houston, Texas, and they are saying to themselves, my goodness, we started off 2021 losing James Harden to the Brooklyn Nets. Harden just flat out decided, I'm done with Houston, By the way, he's about to open a restaurant in Houston. That might be the worst timing for a restaurant of all time. Just tossing it out there. James, when are you opening your restaurant in the middle of a COVID pandemic? Also, after I just pieced out to the entire city of Houston, this is maybe the biggest restaurant disaster of all time. There's no way this restaurant is going to succeed, I hope, that James Harden put his own money in there instead of business partners putting money in, thinking, hey, there's no way we could lose money here. We're in Houston, and James Harden is the namesake of the restaurant. Because, I'm sorry, there's probably a business partner right now waking up, putting on Sports Talk Radio like, bro, you had to start this way? Because I'll tell you, I've been there. I told my wife when we started a bar in downtown Broadway in Nashville, We bought the building, everything else. Eventually, it's going to be fine. But I said, how is a business on downtown Broadway, which is basically like the Vegas Strip if you haven't been there before, how is a bar on Broadway in Nashville ever not going to do well? Well, turns out there could be a pandemic. So long-range plan might be good, at least, for my bar on Broadway in downtown Nashville. That restaurant in Houston named after James Harden Opening during a pandemic, I wouldn't want to have stock in that one. In fact, I'm kind of surprised I don't have stock in that one. But, big picture here. I feel like the media and everybody talking about this Deshaun Watson story is totally whiffing on this. And they are buying into the idea that the Houston Texans are an atrocious franchise. And I think that's because the Texans don't get a lot of attention The Dallas Cowboys soak up all of the Texas media marketplace. The NFC East in general. The Texans are always playing against the Colts and the Titans and the Jags. The AFC South doesn't have a lot of sizzle without Peyton Manning in it. And as a result, or Andrew Luck for that matter, as a result, there's not a lot of people out there like, you know who I have super strong opinions about? Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett. You know who I really would just go to the mat on Ryan Tannehill, and Marcus Mariota. You know who I love? Minshew, uh, Gardner Minshew, and uh, and, and, and the long neck dude, whose name I can't even remember, Mike Glennon. Nobody's like, oh my God, I got to talk about all these dudes all the time. Now, Derrick Henry and Deshaun Watson obviously are the sizzle in the AFC South stake. But I feel like a lot of people have missed what is going on in Houston in the grand scheme of things. This is not a bad job. This is not an awful franchise. I feel like many people out there are just buying into the hype because they're social media losers and they see an athlete upset and they immediately think, oh, things must be a disaster there. Guys, in the last decade, the Houston Texans have been to the playoffs six times. They have won four playoff games. If this were Matthew Stafford and he were like, I'm done with the Lions, or if it were Barry Sanders, or if it were Calvin Johnson, and they're like, this organization is toxic, nobody can win here. I'd be like, you know what? it has got a point. They've won one playoff game since 1957. Sorry, Lions fans to drag you in and just throw an elbow on you. They've won one playoff game since 1957. If you are a Lions player, and you are utterly defeated by the organization and the choices that they have made, I understand why you want to be gone. But we're talking about the Houston Texans, six out of the last ten years having been in the playoffs and winning four playoff games in the past decade. Now, I'm not defending Bill O'Brien's decision to trade away DeAndre Hopkins. Certainly it hasn't worked out well that he get what he gave up to go get Laramie Tunsil. I don't think anybody would have said, Oh, Laramie Tunsil's worth the number three overall pick. But what he was trying to do was acknowledge that he had a franchise quarterback. And that he wanted to be able to protect him and he needed a franchise left tackle and he knew they didn't have one in Houston and he paid the price to do it. And he thought that DeAndre Hopkins was a declining asset. Maybe he has a couple of good years left. Maybe he's got three or four good years left. He could certainly be wrong. And I think you could certainly criticize what he got in exchange for DeAndre Hopkins. But you shouldn't cancel out a decade's worth of success with two bad trades. Jadavion Clowney really didn't have much left. J.J. Watt, really, I don't think I love J.J. Watt. I think he's been a tremendous asset to the city of Houston. I think he has been a fantastic uh, voice for athletics in general in that region, whether it was with hurricanes, whether it was with COVID issues, whether it's just trying to uplift the community in general. I think he's done a fantastic job. But he's on the back nine of his career. And so, to me, I think there is equal opportunity wrongdoing here In the way that the Deshaun Watson relationship has got out of kilter. But I think a lot of people are missing a level of success that has existed in Houston that isn't getting enough attention. This is not a failing organization. This is not the Detroit Lions. This is not a team that has to go out for a Hail Mary and desperately hope that they're going to find somebody who's been successful. In general, they have won a lot of games. They've advanced to the playoffs. Yes, they've never gotten to the AFC championship game but they've been in the divisional round of the playoffs. Heck, they were up 24 to nothing last year on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs with a chance to advance to the AFC Championship game. And here is my thing. Deshaun Watson is one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL. If I owned the Houston Texans, I wouldn't trade him. I would sit down and figure out a way to make this work. And I would do that by sitting down and involving Deshaun Watson in some form or fashion with who the next head coach is going to be. Because we have seen time after time after time that the relationship that matters the most in the NFL is the quarterback and the head coach. Belichick and Brady we'll talk about a little bit later. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. If you are simpatico, if you have a great relationship with your head coach, then you are going to win at an incredibly high level in the NFL if you're a successful quarterback. The Texans have done the hard part. They've got a successful quarterback. That is oftentimes hard to find. They've got a successful young quarterback. The only reason to trade Deshaun Watson if you are the Houston Texans is because somebody comes to you with such an unbelievable offer that you can't say no to it. I always say... Everything that I have that is a possession is, in theory, for sale. I love my house. We have been here for six years. I think it's a fantastic neighborhood. I love everything about it. I've got my home television studio. I've got my home radio studio. I like my neighbors, my kids. love everything about it. If you offered me a million dollars more than what my house is worth, I would probably move because I would say, well, They're way overpaying. We can find a new place with the money that we are taking that's better than this one. I don't want to sell, but that's what capitalism is. If somebody offers you more for an asset and you believe that you can take advantage of that offer and find yourself in a better footing than you otherwise would, then you do it. Now, it might be different if I were 80 years old, And I was like, no, no, no. I've lived my whole life. I never want to move again. That's a frustrating thing. A million extra dollars to me right now doesn't mean anything. I understand that if you're an old guy. But if you're the Houston Texans, you don't have an old quarterback. You've got a guy that's just starting to come into his full fruition of talent. Now, if the Miami Dolphins got on the phone with me and they said, hey, we'll give you Tua... And we'll give you the overall number three pick. Or we'll give you the overall number three pick and another couple of assets on this team right now because we think Deshaun Watson is that good. I might be willing to make that trade because you might like Justin Fields or you might like Zach Wilson or you might think you could piece together some things and end up going after the Jags number one overall pick. I don't know. I'm open to making a trade But this idea that Deshaun Watson has to get out of Houston because the franchise has not been successful enough is one of the craziest arguments that I have seen in a long time. And I don't know whether people are just not paying attention, whether they're not looking at the data. I mean, six trips to the playoffs in the past 10 years with four playoff wins... I mean, the Dallas Cowboys would kill for that. The Dallas Cowboys, Tom Brady in year one in the NFC got into the NFC championship game. I don't think, Dub, look it up. I don't think the Cowboys have been there since 1995. The Cowboys have barely won a playoff game in the last 25 years. I know they get a lot more attention than the Houston Texans. But nobody out there would be like, man, the Cowboys are a broken organization. Look at some of the bad contracts they've signed. Look at some of the bad choices they've made. Nobody out there would just be like, oh, this is a disaster. They're absolutely atrocious. Yet the Cowboys haven't been winning playoff games hardly at all. What have they won? Three playoff games in the last 25 years? Look that up, too, if you would, Dub. The Texans have won four this decade. The Cowboys have barely won in 25 years. They've won three playoff games since 1996. And nobody's out there like, oh, you got to get out of the Dallas Cowboy organization while you can. They are failures. You got no chance at success. If we're talking about state of Texas NFL franchises that have consistently failed and underperformed and have a broken culture... The one we should be talking about is the Dallas Cowboys, not the Houston Texans. And so I think because the Houston Texans are a little bit under the radar, it's easy to, to go ahead and rip on them. And you could say, well, now they're set to be awful because they don't have picks in the first and second round this year. and what, But they still have a franchise quarterback. The reason why you give a franchise quarterback a lot of money is is to guarantee that you never fall that far off the radar. It might take a couple of years for the Houston Texans to get back to a high level. But look at Drew Brees' history. The Saints were bad for several years before they got good again after they won the Super Bowl. Most teams are not Tom Brady or Peyton Manning-led where you can just write them into the playoffs every single year. That's a rarity. Even really good quarterbacks have ups and downs. Some years where things just don't come together, the injuries add up, everything doesn't work in their favor. Think about how often that happens even for Hall of Fame level quarterbacks. Drew Brees went 7-9 and nine in back-to-back years after he won the Super Bowl. That didn't mean the New Orleans Saints were a broken organization. He didn't demand a trade. I just, I have so many thoughts about this Deshaun Watson issue, and I feel like it's being talked about and discussed in such an inferior and unintelligent manner in the larger sports media universe. There also aren't a lot of precedents for this Deshaun Watson situation. There are lots of times where NBA stars demand trades. There are very few involving a quarterback demanding a trade. Now, there are some before the draft. Eli Manning wouldn't play for the San Diego Chargers at the time. John, El- John Elway wouldn't play for, I think it was the Baltimore Colts at the time. And there are sometimes in the draft where guys say, hey, I don't want to go there, sort of the whisper report. And certainly we've seen Jalen Ramsey get fed up with the Jags in demand to be traded. And we have seen Antonio Brown get fed up with the Pittsburgh Steelers and then with the Oakland Raiders in demand to get traded. But we really haven't seen a quarterback get have an implosion like this where everybody is so angry. Now, we may see it in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz seems unhappy with the Eagles, but that really is based on the way he's playing, not based on necessarily the organizational relationship in general, although it's part of it. Deshaun Watson is playing an electric brand of football. I wouldn't trade him if I'm the Texans unless I get an overwhelming offer. I don't believe he's going to sit out for a year. We've never seen a quarterback do it. I kind of wish that the storyline would continue to build because I think it's entertaining, but I don't think Deshaun Watson is the kind of guy who's willing to sit out for a year. And I also don't know how you get top value if you are the Texans, and Deshaun Watson is basically saying, hey, I'm not going to play with you anymore. Because if you're trading for him, you say, well, what are the Texans going to do otherwise? I'm not going to give top value for him. This story, put a pin in it. I don't know that it's going away, and I'm going to be following it aggressively because I think it's really a situation almost without precedent in the NFL right now. And I just think right now what needs to happen is the owner, Cal McNair, needs to sit down face-to-face with his franchise quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and they need to have a conversation about what's going awry. What is not working in this relationship? And I think Deshaun Watson, if I owned the Houston Texans, what I would do is I would sit down at a table with Deshaun Watson and I would say, here are the head coaches I am thinking about hiring. These are the guys that have come recommended to me. What do you think of these guys? Would you like to go out to dinner with me, with these guys, and talk about them and think about how you might have the best relationships? A little bit like The Bachelor, which, yes, I am watching now that college football is over and now the NFL is almost over. Sat down, watched it with my wife last night. It's fabulous. Probably talk about it a little bit with Petros. Who's going to get the rose for the Houston Texans? I would give the rose to Deshaun Watson. I would keep a rose if I were the owner. I would find the bachelor that we like the best to be the head football coach of the Houston Texans. I would make sure Deshaun Watson was happy. I would make sure that I was happy. And we would ride off happily ever after into the sunset and hopefully head to Super Bowls. But this seems like something that is so incredibly easy to rectify. You've got a star quarterback. The relationship that matters the most for the star quarterback is with his head coach. Let's find a head coach that he wants to work with that is a top candidate. Let him be involved in this choice. If that coach doesn't work out, you have at least shown the star quarterback how much you value his judgment. And then you guys can go back to the drawing board in three years because that's about how long it takes to figure out whether or not a guy is the right guy.
4: We bring in
5: a guy now who a lot of you watch on a regular basis, Drew McIntyre, WWE Champion. Drew, I think the last time we talked to you, I I don't think you had quite won the championship yet. So let's start here. You guys have now announced that uh, that you're going to have WrestleMania in Tampa again. I'm betting there's going to be some crowd present. I don't know if they've officially announced that or not, but I uh, know that's what the governor of Florida would want, and uh, that's kind of the way we're trending. What has the last year been like for you, and how eager are you to be able to perform in front of big crowds again?
6: I cannot wait. Proud to be back. I believe the last time we talked, I just lost the WWE title for three weeks. It was a horrible, horrible three weeks. You know, I won the (laughs) WWE championship at WrestleMania last year. Uh, so, I won the WWE Championship WrestleMania last year, lost it for those three weeks that we spoke, regained it, and now I'm trying to keep it all the way to uh, this coming WrestleMania. And very fortunate that we're getting a redo this year um, in Tampa Bay. And like you mentioned, I really, really, really hope we've got fans in that building. You know, we're working with the local government, we're working with the CDC, doing everything as safe as possible, but I really hope we can get some fan presence in there because as cool as it was to win the title last year at WrestleMania with no fans there watching physically, but millions watching around the world, it'd be even more special to have the fans back in the stands.
5: I got to give you guys credit, all the performers, everybody associated with the WWE, because what feels like 15 years ago, you guys were like the first people to put on new entertainment in the middle of the shutdown in the middle of the lockdown you did it in certainly a non-traditional fashion uh there i think it was the wwe studios in orlando but two days big wrestlemania event i've got three boys 12 10 and 6 we were glued to our seats we watched all of it it felt amazing just to watch some new entertainment i bet that you heard from a lot of wrestling fans saying Thank you for just being able to find a way to do that safely. And then you guys have kept rolling throughout, uh, and and I tend to think this is when you have made even more of a connection with your fans than you already had. And we already know how powerful the connection is between the WWE and its fans. Uh, But I'm sure that you have heard, even if you haven't been able to see it happen as much in the physical presence, that you guys have made a tremendous difference for a lot of people in a challenging time.
6: Yeah, for sure. Like that uh, past WrestleMania you're referring to is probably, you know, one of the proudest I've ever been to be involved with WWE that we pushed ahead, gave the world WrestleMania an escape during the height of the pandemic. Every other entertainment had shut down. Every other sports league had shut down. We brought the world WrestleMania. I was very fortunate to win the title in the very last match. And I can kind of feel good story. I beat... The Beast Brock Lesnar won my championship, and then I heard um, the following week that we had 14 million social media interactions over two days, all yes. 60% from the year prior, like really made a lot of people happy. The feedback was incredible, and like you mentioned, we pushed ahead, given a weekly show, our weekly show is Raw SmackDown NXT from the WWE Performance Center with no fans, which is akin to like a, a warehouse essentially. And as time passed, other sports started back up the best they could, and we realized that we weren't gonna be able to get fans back anytime soon soon and that's when we made the pivot into the WWE Thunderdome where we're at right now and I'm I'm sure you've seen and hopefully everyone out there has seen the Thunderdome where we're back in an arena now, we've got the lights, lasers, pyro um, everything you expect from WWE but the biggest thing of all is we've got our fans back virtually on those screens over a thousand at a time it's all in real time, we can hear you all when we walk to that ring, I did a test one week, I was the first person to talk in the Thunderdome and I literally said everybody in those screens give me a thumbs up right now and it felt like time stood still. I didn't think they were going to do the thumbs up with me <laughs> yeah. and luckily all, all those thumbs came up so everything's in real time. It's so cool and like you mentioned our, our social media connection, our connection with our fans is unbelievable. We built that social media connection prior to the pandemic. WWE uses social media more than any other entertainment outlet to enhance our characters, enhance our storylines throughout the pandemic. It's just gotten stronger and stronger and I've heard everybody's stories and I've heard how they're struggling mentally during these times. They're grateful that we are we are, they are, that we put out the weekly content that we do, and it makes me so proud to be a WWE superstar.
4: How
5: physically different, you talk about being able to see everybody virtually, how much of a charge does the crowd reacting, booing, uh, you know, uh, cheering you, whatever their reaction might mean? How much of a difference is it having to manufacture? I know you've got virtual fans now, but how much of a difference is it having to manufacture that energy without the feedback? I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, as a guy who has gotten used to being able to play to the crowd, uh, like all the talented people are who are performers in your sport, um, it had to be just wildly uh, different to be able I I know as watching as a, a viewer to be able to see you guys talking it's a little bit similar when you're watching let's say the NFL on television right now and you can hear all the quarterbacks like calling out the audibles you can hear the players sometimes talking back and forth it's an eerie and unnatural way to experience a sport I imagine as someone in the ring it has to have felt totally different to you as well
6: yeah, absolutely. Our fans are our number one superstar. They're our secret sauce. They can literally change the complex of a match and an interview just by how they're reacting to it. Because sometimes they just don't like what they see on TV or they like what you see in the ring, so they just boo the crap out of it. And you've got to be able to roll with the punches. And that's the cool thing about it, is you never know what to expect from a live crowd at WWE. And when we lost that, we really had to ad- adapt and innovate because it was, like you said, eerie is the best word, I guess. Like suddenly you're walking out like in the performance center the height of the pandemic to complete silence and they can hear everything you're saying so you've got to be (laughs) careful what you're saying out there you've got to watch you don't swear we're a PG company and you've got you've got to lay those strikes in you know a a lot of people in wrestling fans know what to expect but people that don't necessarily watch wrestling perhaps watch UFC perhaps perhaps watch boxing and the more sophisticated fan base they know what it sounds like when somebody hits somebody they know which maneuvers are effective and a lot of our superstars had to tighten up their game and up their game because you can see through any weak holes, any weak punches, any weak kicks, and we had to really up our in-ring game and up our physicality, which I it was pretty physical anyway the guys were basically crying and I was kicking the crap out of them <laughs> during that phase <laughs> but it really forced everybody to up their game in the ring but when it came to the interviews I thought it was pretty interesting because without the crowd shouting over the top of you it was much like you know like any comedy you watch on TV any drama you watch on TV there was no like live crowd reacting, so you had to really focus on what the performer was saying so it was a real unique opportunity to build your character to add more layers to your character if you really knew who you were and as time went on obviously we got the Thunderdome we can hear the fans live once again and it makes such a difference for the atmosphere when you're in the ring and more palatable for the viewers at home watching the show
5: you are uh, you guys one of the reasons i love what you guys do is you're incredible athletes you're also incredible performers i love the speaking parts right i mean it's very shakespearean at times which is as a guy who grew up in uh, in the the united kingdom i'm sure you have had more experience with shakespeare than maybe even the americans who are listening primarily right now have you ever had a time where you've gone into the ring and you've been like, I totally bombed that speech. Because sometimes, you know, I'll do a segment on the radio. We do live radio three hours every day, 15 hours a week. And I'll finish a segment and I'll be like, man, that was not my best segment. I didn't deliver it perfectly. My argument was clipped. Maybe that interview didn't go as well as I wanted to. Like, we're all imperfect. Has there ever been a time where you've come out and you've been like, I just totally blew that? And sometimes you're going to nail it and you're going to come off and you're going to be like, you can tell because the way the crowd's reacting. But it's a little bit like being a comedian, stand up, anything else, performance. Have you? walked back and you've been like, man, sorry, I just blew that one.
6: Yes. <laughs> More times that I could possibly count. Do you I'm go back and watch my, like my to, to,
5: yeah, to see like, I'm curious to take me into what that experience is like if you bombed one.
6: Uh, well, um, yeah, it doesn't feel good, I guess. If, uh, but sometimes it does feel good. Sometimes you feel like you've bombed, and if you come back and Vincent Mann says he loved it, then you pretend oh, yeah. you didn't bomb. And you, do, you just go along with it. But yes. during my first run, <laughs> I started on television with WWE when I was 22 years old. You know, I spent um, like my youth basically on TV, and I bombed all the time. I tried so hard to remember all the words on the paper. And yes. it took many years for me to realize to finally just be myself. Go out there with an idea in my head that I wanted to say, but basically yourself in the live radio you know, you know yourself you're just being yourself you're just going with the flow and you're feeling it that's what you have to do in wrestling too you have to understand your character and the best characters are generally just you but the way I'm talking to you right now is basically how I talk in WWE TV right. until I got as comfortable as I am right now being myself we did some huge bombs There's was one particular interview I did you know, I, you know Kurt Angle um, Olympic oh. gold medalist oh, yeah. won, uh, American freestyle wrestling former WWE champion so I basically I beat him in a match where I tapped him out to his own finishing move the ankle lock and I was supposed to do an interview where I was saying nice things about him you know I didn't want to do it I felt so bad about it and when I got out there in front of the live crowd in England they were shouting so loud they were getting so crazy and I couldn't remember what I was supposed to say and I was like oh my goodness I wasn't, what was I supposed to say at this part screw it you know when I tapped out Kurt Angle I loved every second of it <laughs> it was the best feeling in the world I literally said the exact opposite of what was on the paper because it felt right for my character and I came back and Vincent Mann loved it and he told me that feeling you had what felt right go with your gut every time and since that moment I've always gone with my gut and then I became WWE champion so All go right. with your gut be yourself, everyone listening out
5: there. It is interesting because I can't memorize things. Like We do skits every now and then for my television show, and I'm the worst actor ever. If you tell me to just roll and do like a radio show or do live television, I'm really good at it, I think. But if you tell me I have to memorize something and act, I can't do it. So I'm kind of fascinated by that with your perspective as well. What should people know now that WWE in Tampa has been announced? What should they be expecting, and what do you anticipate that they will love? Of coming up?
6: Uh, I mean, I expect just keep your ear close to the ground as we release more information. But this is something I've never even heard of when it comes to WWE, like releasing three cities over the next three years with Tampa Bay. Coming up this April 10th at the Raymond James Stadium, Arlington, Texas, and uh, except for, uh, 2022 AT&T Stadium. The following year, in 2023, Los Angeles at the SoFi Stadium. Like, this is unprecedented will release this much information about WrestleMania three years in advance. And when it comes to this WrestleMania um, in Tampa, just... Pay close attention. I really feel that we're going to have fans there live. Everything's heading in the right direction. Obviously, I can't make any promises right now. We're doing everything as safely as possible, following the strictest guidelines. But we basically get a redo. And the way I look at it is, as proud as I am of everything we did at WrestleMania last year, it gave everyone an escape. My moment wasn't quite how I expected it to be, winning the WWE Championship for the first time. It's meant the world to me. But this year, you know, get yourself along if it's possible and be part of another special moment, because I'm getting my moment with people there this year, <laughs> one way or another
5: you know what? I'm going to try to bring my kids down. I'm not even kidding about this. We've been talking about going to a WrestleMania for a long time. Assuming there's going to be uh, fans allowed, we've been saying we're going to go. I'm hoping you guys are going to be able to do it, not just in Tampa, but with crowds present. Look forward to it. Drew McIntyre, appreciate you coming on again. You're fantastic as always. We'll be watching on television.
6: No, thank you for having me again, buddy. And yet, if you get to make it to the show and my fingers and toes and everything are crossed, things are going to go the right direction. Just bring the kids along. Say hello, Malone. Get w- a picture with the WWE Championship.
5: Hey, that's, not, that's tough. Uh, you sold delivered right there. I appreciate it, my man. Thank you.
6: Thank you, buddy. Take care. Take care.
5: That's Drew McIntyre.
3: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
5: That music that you hear, the sweet melodic tunes of Taylor Swift, it can only mean one man is scheduled to strut, strut, stride. I was trying to think of the right phrase there. Across the outkick stage, the one, the only, Petros Papadakis, AM570 LA Sports, the Petros and Money Show. Petros, i got to be honest with you, football's almost over. College football's completely over. And I am all in on the new season of The Bachelor and i know that you are
2: a tried and true bachelor fan well no that's not see i don't want it i don't want it portrayed nationally like that
5: yes cuz that's
2: not how true. would you portray it well there is a there's a way that this happened uh years ago when my wife and i were dating I lived in San Pedro in a condominium, which is not the end of the world in the city of Los Angeles, but you can see it from there. <laughs> well, that's where the guys in the Usual Suspects were hit out. If you've ever yeah. seen that movie, oh yeah, it makes yeah. So, uh, my wife, who was a Los, Los Angeles city girl for for a lot of her life, would come down and and we were, you know, engaged or on on that track and she would say, look, I'll come down to your desolate house, but you have to watch this show that I usually watch with my girlfriends on Monday night. So, I would watch the show, and it's painful. You know, like, unless you're fast-forwarding and kind of doing work on it, it's a painful watch to go through all the network filler that they do just to fill the two or three hours that they're going through. I mean, you're not a patient guy. You're a little bit like me, Clay. It's hard, you know. And uh, I would just sit there just screaming and yelling at the TV and sticking my face between the couch cushions and just making it horrible for my wife because the show made me so uncomfortable. And she stopped watching it because I was so insufferable with uh, with her while she was trying to watch it. And then I would go on the radio the next day and complain about the show. And I would go on a popular show uh, in L.A., Kevin and Bean on K-Rock, which was on for, you know, 40 years or something, and do a bachelor report with a guy named Ralph Garman. And it just kind of became a thing. We started to cut clips and play clips and... That at a certain time, there was like three or four different radio shows that we did a bachelor report on every week. But it was all based on my disdain for the show and its premise and particularly the host. But I can't say that I'm not entertained by it uh, because I am kind of, especially this season, because I kind of like the, the setup in, in Pennsylvania. It's a lot less... Uh, about you know whatever location they're in, like Vietnam or something, and they can just get more drama going and I, I like The Bachelor this year, Clay. I think this guy Matt is a it seems like a pretty good guy, a former uh, mid card jobber type of wide receiver at Wake Forest and uh, a commercial real estate guy in New York seems like he's a lot more qualified than most of the people they've had on this show in years
5: yeah you know it's interesting because they have had a lot of very unlikable bachelors like juan pablo you know the former soccer star well we uh, we, we we made friends with juan pablo you, uh,
2: you get along with him now well we had him on and when we had him on i had a connection in person he was at dodger stadium working for the venezuelan government i think or something in the baseball <laughs> world Yes, yeah. and uh he uh we had a moment, you know, where, where I, I figured out what happened with Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo just stopped playing the game, you know, and that's on them for Caps. Yeah. He just stopped playing the game. He wasn't going to tell anybody he was in love with anybody. Right. He was. He was over it it pissed off Chris Harrison to no, uh, to no end and that was that but they chose a Bachelor who didn't really want to go through with the process so for, for that you know I blame The Bachelor and I mean I think this girl Victoria this year she's got to she, be an actress right I mean, right? I mean that be can't be plant. real yeah she, she's a plant and it is sad because I was talking about this last week on the air. I did date a girl like that talked exactly like that.
0: Like Victoria. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, Who's the from LA? Fry. Yeah. yeah.
2: What do you mean? I don't wanna what are you saying, <laughs> Petros? What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm downstairs, I wanna come over. <laughs> but it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel real with her. And I could, I mean, you, there's nothing you can put past this production, right? Right. Like, absolutely nothing. And, I mean, they'll do anything. They'd sell their grandmother's liver to the devil for one tier on one contestant for one second of network television. I mean, they are the devil, the people that put on this reality TV. But they are good at it, especially the people that collect it and make a show out of it. Because just think of just the chaos that this is like 30 oh, yeah. women running around. I mean, somebody's got to log all that tape and edit it and put it together, and make a time out of it, and play the music, that's one funny thing I learned about The Bachelor over these 20 years is, like for music people, no one makes any money anymore on The Bachelor, because in the first three years, they have like a piano sound for everything that will happen. They have have like a suspenseful sound for a girl that's about to tell him that her father died in a plane accident with a snowboard strapped to his back and a paintball gun. You know, they have a sound for that. Uh, It's all logged and paid for already. And it really is kind of an amazing reality machine, but I just enjoy the human conflict and the idiots. Yeah, well, join the club.
5: And uh, there are people out there who are saying, like, oh my god. First of all, if you're not aware that Petros and I will talk about The Bachelor, this is like when football ends this is my new Monday night football, right? Now, we may have to bump because the challenge becomes getting everybody to have watched it on the Monday night because people got kids and everything else. Do you think we should move you to Wednesday until The Bachelor is over so that both of us can have watched the entirety of the most recent episode? Because I think there's probably out there also, like I haven't been able to watch – the 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 most recent monday night episode yet you haven't really either sometimes it's a challenge to get it all watched before tuesday morning
2: yeah it's not easy uh especially if you have to ride around it and and it becomes a job it's really infuriating especially it's it's a two or three hour specials
5: now and you have to wait on the west coast until the thing airs after it already airs on the east coast
2: exactly right clay so uh yeah I can look I don't have my fingers on the strings of the Outkick Empire it's it's you So if you want to move me I'll move I'm I'm a flexible What
5: fat. percentage of our audience do you think watches any moment of The Bachelor
2: Well I could say that I've been doing a Bachelor I did not do uh, cause I got really busy during football. season.
5: Yeah. It's always the same. I, when they have the ones that go on during football season, I can't keep up with those.
2: I tend to this, miss this those. was the first one I haven't covered in years. And I didn't qu- cover the Claire. And then it went to someone. I, I don't know what happened last yep. season. So, right. uh, I, I, I did not cover it cause we were doing a lot of football, uh, and I was calling a lot of games, but I've been doing this for years and nothing is more polarizing with our (laughs) listeners (laughs) you know half the people say and when i did it's the greatest thing ever right Well, when i didn't do it i got a lot of complaints you know not only from men who said you know now i'm not up on it you know just from listening to your show and i can't converse with people right you know that actually do it And, and then a lot of women like you know this was my favorite part of the show you know i play these uh Things for my friends, the podcast, and the report. So uh, I, I had to bring it back, and I have. So, uh, but it is. But I still get. You know, when I do the Bachelor report today at like five o'clock or whenever a bunch of people are going to text you know see you later you know they'll send a tweet I like, hate you, know, you. Nope. like here you we know, go yeah. again nope. yeah you know I'll get those tweets <laughs> and stuff but then if I say I'm not going to do it I get hit with a flood of who the hell do you think you are you know you owe this to us so you know I'm just a fart in a whirlwind
5: uh, speaking of I, I kind of think it's cool I don't know why they picked um, Pennsylvania and you may know the answer to this They basically because it was cheap I mean, but they make a lot of money on this show. I mean, they couldn't usually. Yeah, they have but you know what their?
2: Of, but do you know what their travel budget is? No earthly idea.
5: It is zero. Because everything has to get paid for by the. Uh, everything by, is
2: sponsored. Everything yeah. is done in trade. Yeah. So they have zero. Like I know way too much about this show. When I was the host of a show called Pros versus Joes before HDTV yes. on Spike, the director of The Bachelor was our lead camera guy. He probably still is, a guy named German. The only thing he didn't direct was a rose ceremony because that required like thirty cameras. You know, you have to have a camera on everybody's face at every right. moment. Right. But 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 I do know that their travel budget is nothing. So wherever they are, they're there because to
5: basically advertise, yes right. like the location. Okay, well that so makes sense. Because I can see because a huge m- number of times when they go on trips, I'm like, oh, I'd like to go there. And I imagine there are tons of people out there who do actually follow through. I've never followed through and done anything, you know, like, related to The Bachelor. But I would imagine there are tons of people who do.
2: Well, then they're like, you know, Peru. You're like, oh, Peru. Well,
5: I'm just not sure if they Peru, can, can travel right now is what I was going to say. Like, I'm kind of curious... True. They're so not, they're not leaving so they're not oh they're really like they created their own nba style bubble at the uh at the at the resort in pennsylvania well,
2: did you see he had a date uh last week where they were on like an atv which was dangerous
5: they flipped the atv and i told my wife i felt like such he, a I dad was like you're
2: gonna throw her
5: i immediately I'm like, i knew that was gonna, was gonna happen i was like and then one of them's gonna break an arm or something and it's gonna be a disaster
2: yeah, they have a lot of outdoor stuff, and it does seem like they're kind of struggling for activities. But we're not there to watch activities or the bells ring in Buenos Aires. We're there for petty human drama that makes us feel better about our pathetic <laughs> life. Uh, so... Do you think, so they obviously
5: created, and this is funny for people out there who aren't aware, like they created the bachelor bubble, which is kind of like the NBA bubble or the NHL bubble. They tested everybody. Um, I presume that they tested, like they took over this, what looks like a very nice hotel somewhere in Pennsylvania. How do you see this all shaking out before it's all said and done? Do you think they'll actually travel anywhere or do you no, think, no, I don't think, you don't think they'll do to. home visits or anything? Oh, I don't know. I don't. They
2: probably will bring them there, right? If they Potentially, can, they'll just. That's what yeah, I've been talking about with my wife. Yeah, they'll just quarantine everybody and and bring them there. Uh, you know, I. I just working on that show, which was really eye-opening to me. Pros the and Joes, yes. Yeah, the only reason it was eye-opening, you know, and people say, well, what the hell does that have to do with The Bachelor? Well, I got to know that all of these people are the same people, you know, and they're this weird vagabond group of reality TV people. They just that, jump
5: from one show to another to do
2: it. Right. And they shoot it. They're sound people. They're editors. They're lighting people, grips, you know, and you know they're all like, well, I slept on this guy's couch in Marrakesh during a Raising race season 4 and I'm you know this guy's sister-in-law is married to my brother and they were grips on the first season of Survivor and that's how deep the roots of of this kind of business go. Yeah. Well, it's a and challenging they, they business honestly. We mean, talk about
5: Yeah, I mean we talk about the the actual, you know, reality people, but if you're in the middle of, sort of filming everything in Survivor like that's a challenging thing to pull off. Right. And, uh, oh God, how, to light up,
2: how, how about to light it up yes. and collect the information. And like I was saying, kind of make a story out of it. But that being said, like each one of these contestants on the bachelor or bachelorette has like a producer assigned to them. And that person is like, the person like you're Sven Gali, like the person that's like, you know, tonight, tonight, you're going to tell them about the night you, you lost your virginity in a park. And, you know, you're going to, you know, I mean, that's the person that manipulates that person, you know, tonight, tonight, you're going to tell them about, you know, that thing that happened to you once where you you know, your father exploded before your eyes, you know, simul, uh, uh, spontaneously combusting, you know, that kind of stuff. Like that's how they push the show. And, you know, then they'll interview you and they'll, you'll say, tonight's, the night i'm going to do it and they'll play a little music and then they'll cut to you actually doing it and then everybody's reaction to you doing it and it's just a serpent eating its tail and probably one of the biblical signs to the end of the world and we'll both be watching every single monday night
5: uh or tuesday but then for we'll work. watching it yes for work uh all right so uh speaking of a serpent are you, are you gonna eating ask its, me about the lakers
2: now or something
5: no i was gonna i was i i thought i had an incredible transition speaking of a serpent eating its tail Terrifying, oh. terrifying image is that what's going on with the texans right now with Deshaun i don't know. watson what, what about tennessee <laughs> oh wow well, we're just this way what well, i i i don't know what's going to happen at tennessee this is a uh, this is a fun uh, joel i don't think our buddy joel clad has been on twitter in the 24 hours since tennessee fired uh, their head coach because if he had the first thing he would have done would have uh, would have been to tweet me But I actually, I I talked in the second hour of the program, we talked some about this. I actually think Tennessee decided they wanted to fire Jeremy Pruitt. Didn't want to pay him the $12 million plus that he was owed. And so as soon as they got a report that there were improper activities going on from an NCAA basis, they just made the calculated decision, we're going to use this as justification to fire Pruitt. I mean, because... Well, what about Fulmer? uh well i i think fulmer's just basically riding off into the sunset i mean he's he's an aged guy and i think pruitt he tried this is what often happens right who will
2: drag the volunteers kicking and screaming into the 21st century
5: should be me should be me they should uh, i you know i'm a humble guy they should come (laughs) to me and they should say clay travis you are in charge of conducting this entire investigation you find the guy who's the coach. I think I could conduct the entire coaching search. I think I could get a winning coach in there, and then I've got like 18 other jobs. I'll let everybody else manage the equation. But what has been proven time after time in college sports, if you get the right coach, everything else works. Right? I mean, that's really what it is. And Tennessee, yeah, it has to.
2: It has to be the head coach. But head coach. It's not just that. You know, if you really want a formula that that can last you, you know, over a decade of success, it has to be a marriage between the university president, the athletic director, and the head coach. Those three people have to work in unison to have the place be successful. And if you if they all work together, you know, you have situations and transitions like you see in Oklahoma. If they don't, it's Tennessee, yeah, or USC. Well,
5: and really, I mean, the Tennessee problem, the implosion started with Lane Kiffin, right? Because the decision to fire Phil Fulmer, whether it was the right or wrong decision, can still be debated. But the decision to hire Lane Kiffin, who only started stayed there a year, is what imploded everything. Because there were a lot of people who wanted that Tennessee job, Gary Patterson, for instance, that could have come in there and been very, very successful. And frankly... If Pete Carroll doesn't leave, I think Lane Kiffin would have done fine at Tennessee. Like, I don't necessarily think he would have won a national championship or something, but I think he would have been an eight or nine win coach at Tennessee and it would would stayed be there for five or six years and been okay.
2: I don't know. You know, he really wasn't. A, the, I mean, he wasn't the guy he is now. I mean, He's like, better now but, than he was then, right? But yeah, I mean, but, he well, was both of those guys. I mean, as far as coaching goes, that's one thing. But they they both needed to mature as people desperately, yes. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian and, and Lane Kiffin. Right. You know, uh, so uh, I don't know about that. Uh, Pete Carroll was going to be fired uh, if he didn't leave. I mean, the sanctions that came down were gigantic. Pete right. Carroll would not have survived that. Uh, whether He got out of town excited. at the last possible moment. Pete right, but... I don't think he knew the sanctions were coming. It's just very interesting, you know, going back and looking at it. He was always interviewing for pro jobs and looking for control every off season. And Pete Carroll's got a lot of self-confidence. And finally one came along that gave him the control he wanted, and it just happened to be the same year that the sanctions came down. I mean, those investigations went on for like four years. Yeah. So, you know, would Kiffin have been hireable in the same way, uh, had Pete Carroll been fired as opposed to just left, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting, uh, with USC, he should have never been hired at USC or Tennessee, uh, for that matter. I just don't think he was ready. Uh, I think that's true. He needed an FAU.
5: And I think honestly, he would probably say that if he was on this show right now, I mean, he does seem to be, I think, Lane Kiffin, Having been through some of those fires, I think he's self-aware now of the
2: flaws that he had when he was younger. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, and I don't blame him. I mean, both Sarkeesian and Kiffin had to knife well, one of the great coaches, Norm Chow, you know, with Pete Carroll, sort of like Caesar <laughs> in a, in a very Shakespearean kind of way that played out after the uh, Oklahoma DCS championship game in Miami, uh, suddenly they just kind of came for Norm Chow. And for Kiffin, that was one thing, you know. Uh, him and Norm were were getting in kind of verbal uh, altercations on the field and stuff. But Sarkeesian was a football coach because of Norm Chow. You know, Norm Chow was Steve's coach at BYU. Steve was coaching high school baseball when Norm – called him to be the quarterback coach at usc because pete hired him there and i don't know if sarkisian and and chow have ever mended their relationship and that's unfortunate Can you come
5: back by the way because i want to continue this story uh and i'm looking down and i'm recognizing we got to go to break well you know it's because you
2: asked me about all that reality tv
5: show i know i know and there's people out there complaining but but uh, we got more to get to are you still good sure we're still talking to Petros Papadakis at The Old P. Uh, you can listen to him at 570 AM LA Sports, the wildly successful Petros and Money Show. You uh, And we're talking to uh, telling a story about the decisions and kind of the drama surrounding SC with Lane Kiffin and, uh, and Steve Sarkeesian. And it's like everybody's connected to SC in some way. Obviously, Coach O, all those guys overlap. But I want to say this too. You told me something really prescient, I thought, years and years ago. Uh, when I started coming out to L.A., right? Because I was out, but you could actually travel. I was out in L.A. quite a bit. We were doing the, you know, Fox uh, Sports Live, the evening show, and we were hanging out, having a good time. And you were like, got to be careful in L.A. because it will destroy some people's lives, right? Like they, they, everybody's doing fine, and then they get caught up in kind of that L.A. scene, and you can lose yourself, right? You because, get turned out. I've seen right? I mean, Los L.A., Angeles. you've seen it happen a lot to people who come to L.A. It's a different universe.
2: Right. I have for many years. They get turned out like hookers. And it's just how it is. And it eats people, a lot of people up, and they they just leave. You know, they're here for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, they think they got and 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 they leave. You know, most people think they come to L.A., and they get on TV, and that's it. You know, they've made it. They, you know, they've they've now uh, reached some kind of pinnacle. And, and perhaps that's true, but it certainly doesn't mean that Steven Spielberg's inviting you over for lunch, and, you know, Jimmy Kimmel's calling you and texting you every other day. And just in, in Los Angeles, the thirst is so palpable. And the desperation is such a stinky cologne that if you're kind of from here... Like I am, and you sort of grew up seeing the thing play itself out over and over again, you know, with college football players or customers in my father's restaurant and everything in between. Now that I'm a media guy, it's just kind of funny. I mean, I remember, like, you guys talking about what club you were going to go to that night and, you know, which movie star was going to be there. And, you know, for me, and everybody hated me, right? I'd just be like, you guys suck. <laughs> you, guys are completely, you guys are completely and totally uh, getting the wrong idea about this city. You have no idea who actually lives here. I mean, and everybody, I remember Coy Wire being like, why are you such a dark cloud? Why are you always down on everybody's good time? And I remember saying, because your good time's a freaking fake. Your good time is a facade. This place isn't real. Uh, anyway. Uh,
5: By the way, but really fun I, times. But my life has not spiraled <laughs> yeah, out of control maybe. yet that I'm aware of. But, yes.
2: No, you, well, you were fine. You knew how you have handled your business. You would come in and stay in a hotel and use the time to sleep because
3: you oh, had young phenomenal.
5: kids at home. Phenomenal. Blackout would- curtains are the great... When you have young kids, I've talked about this before, I would have gotten on a plane to fly to LA just to get into a hotel room and be able to put the blackout curtains on. Like just like there's nobody who can wake me up, right? Like that's the greatest thing in my life. Get in a hotel room bed and nobody can wake me up. I put the do not disturb and nobody's there to bother me.
2: Yeah, I'd pray for a night game every once in a while if I was on the road for football. You know, you just sleep all, sleep day. in, just chill. Yeah, yes. And, oh yeah. And and call a football game, but yeah, it's it's kind of funny to watch kind of Los Angeles play out over and over again uh, with different people around town and 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 what they think, you know, quote unquote, making it is or or who's cool to be around i'm obviously the most uncool person in the city and <laughs> once i started to embrace that i uh, think actually when i was there
5: the two of us combined were, were
2: quite the combo yeah, well, once I started to embrace the fact that, you know, there was nothing happening that I actually needed to be at, uh, it really freed up my life to to feel a lot better about myself on a daily basis. But, All right, you know, so look, to get
5: back to your story. which you, was yes. from here, though. Like, he yeah, you know, right.
2: is from Los Angeles. Like, his problems were, were not Los Angeles-related. Lames, uh, you could probably argue that that was more the case. But, you know, Los Angeles turned out Jim Mora. You know, look what happened to him. Uh, you know, yeah. don't have to go too deep into it, but I mean, uh, a lot of these guys just come here, whether they're coaches or broadcasters, and get chewed up and then spit back into some other part of the country, Mo- mostly Detroit.
5: <laughs> We're talking to Petros Fabadegis at the old P. Um, so, should we move you to Wednesday for the new Bachelor
2: report? Yeah, I mean, if you want, I don't. I mean, I I, I don't have any.
0: Or this should we do it? Year,
5: what what just, day of the what day of the week do you think is best for the, like th- th- that's what I'm saying right now. We've only got 3 football games left, right? We got the AFC and the NFC championship on Sunday and then we've got the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks after that. And this well, is like I, mean, I you
2: said, you could put a vote up You know, I mean, you have a powerful Twitter presence, and, you know, it's a good week to get away from politics, probably, for you guys. So, (laughs) I mean, I would say, you know, you could just put a poll up, because I could be ready on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. Uh, uh, theoretically. Uh, however... Which
5: day would you most like to hear Petros? Because immediately, you know what's going to happen when I tag you. There's going to be a lot of people saying, no day, sucks, You're, a, you, you, I, I never want to hear anybody talk. Yes, yeah, that's part that's of the fun. That's part of it. That's yeah. part of it, yeah, all right. I will put up a poll that's what we will do.
2: Uh, now, look, I can go all out for you and you know give you access to my clips oh. and get all cozy with your guys and oh. play you clips and do a real report for you. I mean, you pay me to come on, so if you really want to put me to work, can I can we pay work. you. I didn't even know that.
5: Yeah, well, that's good. Very Um, lucrative. I got a princely sum here. (laughs) That's excellent. Uh, All right, we're going to decide which day to put Petros on. You can tweet me, uh, hashtag OutKick, and at the... Well, you have to put up a vote. I know, but you can also go ahead and start voting. I will put up the poll question. I will put up the poll question on, uh, as soon as we finish the show today... Uh, people can go vote i'll allow you to retweet it as well and we will decide which day the bachelor report should be now that football is basically over and petro's going to bring all the bells and whistles he's going to seduce us with his uh incredible array of talent and uh and, and and bachelor fun oh i'm gonna bachelor you yeah all right all right that's what's coming uh how's lebron by the way
2: uh he's pretty good i guess yeah he's pretty good at basketball of well, the clippers they, they both have won a great a lot of games
5: yeah yeah well that's about as much interest as i have in uh january nba basketball too uh so bachelor report will be coming from petros we will talk to you next week we'll decide which day that's going to be a lot of excitement out there get ready to go vote in the poll good stuff as always petros thank you fight on fight on indeed V for victory
2: product availability just one part that makes o'reilly stand apart the professional parts people oh,
3: oh, oh, O'Reilly. Auto parts.
1: at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field